What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 24 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, December 7th, 2016. We're into the holiday season now, people. Do you feel the Christmas warmth running down your back? I don't know. I can never do these smooth ever. I always have to say some weird shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I I feel the warmth going down my back because my my, uh, heater is is running pretty strong and and uh, pretty hard uh, right now. It's pretty cold over here in Vancouver. In fact, it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Ha, finally. Finally, you get some shitty weather. (laughs) God. Yeah, I looked at the weather report, and I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm not going to the college to try to see if I could sell back some books. A snowstorm at 4 o'clock, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? No, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's as you would imagine, it's kind of hot here in Florida. Um, usually, what happens? Does it ever snow in no, Florida? No, it Has doesn't. Has it ever? So I don't. I don't. I don't even know if it's ever snowed in Florida. It's snowed since I've been alive in my twenty-eight years. It has. It has just like a small little flurry when I was like seven or eight years old. <laughs> yeah. And then apparently, like a few years ago, like one or two snowflakes came out of the sky <laughs> and melted upon impact. <laughs> so now... And they covered that in the news. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Slow day in the news, and it was a big deal, apparently. And it, it, Seriously? That was like an actual news story? Yeah, because, you know, we're, <laughs> I, we get snow too, y'all. Because That's hilarious. a lot of people here... You can imagine just watching that and being like, breaking news! <laughs> Well, a lot of people you haven't snow seen snowflakes have dropped out of the sky here in Florida. Yeah, I mean, like I I went up to North Carolina uh, for my senior ski trip, and I believe there was some there was some real snow, but a lot of it it was at like a some ski resort, so there was a lot of man made snow. So I yeah. ma- I mainly saw man made snow, and there was like a little bit of. So I haven't seen, I have not dealt with a, a great deal of snow in my life at all whatsoever see the snow to me isn't necessarily the problem when it comes to you know this type of weather unless it's like just an insane amount of it uh it's it's the cold it's really it's freezing cold and it's the wind there's gonna be like 20 mile per hour winds tomorrow with the snow for me it's the uh it's a seasonal depression um i don't (laughs) i think it's 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 shitty because like the last two Decembers or the last two holiday like winters were good for me. Like I remember enjoy like legitimately being like I'm enjoying this time of year for once. Like this is nice. And then you know this winter, you know, right in time for the holidays, I, I I'm going through a breakup. So it's like yep, j- you know, just another crappy uh oh, seasons misgivings yeah yeah right in time for christmas depression yay what you've always wanted <laughs> but now merry it's christmas here here's some depression merry christmas asshole <laughs> <laughs> but Instead i mean, of coal in your stocking you get a bunch of depression yeah um i you see i i don't know what's gonna go on this holiday season like my dad said something like well i want I really want you to come over to Michigan and 
And I, I wouldn't mind doing it. My dad just has to pay for the plane ticket because I can't afford it. Because my step my stepbrother is going to be there with his son. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's technically the only brother I technically have. And he does want to see me. So, And he's an ex-con, but he's the type of guy who's not really a bad person. He just fucked up and, and was did a stupid thing and it cost him big time because he got in a fight with a cop. Oh, nice. So, yep. Yep. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he's, uh, I think he's, I think he's out already or he's, you know, he, he was in a halfway house last time I heard from him. So, you know, drugs and, and, you know, getting involved with fighting and fighting with cops that, that doesn't work out. So, you know, one of the things he really wanted, cause he's going to come over to visit my dad he wanted me to be there, so I wouldn't mind being there. But hey, it's it's the seventh. You better be getting the ticket soon, otherwise it's going to be an astronomical amount of money, regardless of where if, if you know it's, it's some middle of nowhere place like Esperia, Michigan, because <laughs> it's still going to be expensive. Yeah. All right, the first case that we're going to talk... Well, okay, um, may I remind everybody that this is Fan Request December, so we're giving back, and all the segments you're hearing in December are going to be uh, Fan Requests, um, unless we run out, which I highly doubt that's going to happen. So if this show sucks all through December, it's all you people's faults. Um, <laughs> that's always a good thing to do, is blame the uh, blame the audience. Um, so this first one, that segment that we're going to be talking about here is one that was requested. Uh, this one has been on my request list for a long time. So this is a case of Patsy Wright. All right. The case that we're talking about is about Patsy Wright, who was a wealthy Texas woman who was found dead. And, uh, a lot of people think that it was due to mysterious circumstances. It wasn't just suicide. It was murder. Now, this this case uh, began in October of 1987, uh, where uh, Patsy ended up experiencing her unexpected death. Uh, even her own daughter was, of course, shocked and did not expect that this would happen. Uh, of course, you know, that she was healthy. She was... I, I like how she... I thought it was interesting the way that she described it. She's like, you would never expect that to happen. She was so alive. She was so healthy. I'm like, yeah, of course she was so alive before <laughs> she was dead. <laughs> she loved breathing so much. She had such an affinity for oxygen. It was just weird that she would just, like, not be living anymore. I, I know. It's... I, it's I, I had to, because that's just such a really... Well, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, honestly, in, in my own, I guess, in my own family, there's there's some people that, like, if, if, I, if I were to get the news that they passed away, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. But there would be other people in my family, if they were to pass away, I'd be like, what? They were so alive yeah. and full of energy so i mean i guess i guess i yeah kind of get that to a certain extent yeah but i guess that's just a statement that for me personally i, I just never really got yeah I mean, it's, uh, it's, so yeah you know but anyway she's she said you know she was so healthy there was nothing wrong with her and when it happened you're just in awe because you never expected that to happen to her exactly it's very unexpected eight days after her memorial service a routine autopsy was performed the lab technician checked for 56,000 different foreign substances in Patsy's blood samples. 
And they had a computer and, that did this, right? Like this computer, yeah. like automatically, like beep boop 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 beep beep boop boop, and it like synthesized like for all these different kind of yeah. things, which I didn't, I didn't, shit, I didn't know they had that now, let alone back in like the eighties. Yeah, it's probably even more complex and effective nowadays. Uh, so the lab technician checked for all these different substances in her body, and the machine all of a sudden actually showed a, a positive reaction. And uh, within seconds, the substance was identified. Strychnine. <gasps> because of its horrible side effects, strychnine poisoning is considered an unusually cruel way to die. Death by strychnine is also very rare. And the death of Patsy Wright the Arlington, Tex in, in Arlington, Texas, uh, the authorities faced a puzzling question. How had this dangerous poison entered Patsy's bloodstream? How indeed. The morning of Patsy's death, a frantic phone call woke up Steve and Sally Horning, who I believe might be uh, the caller was Sally's sister, Patsy Wright. I'm thinking they're their neighbors or something, or they were staying at at the place or something. I so it, Pat's, I thought it was her sister that called. Okay, yeah. yeah. So her sister is her sister is, and her uh, husband. Yeah. So uh, Sally's sister was Patsy Wright, I guess. Uh, Patsy told her sister that she took some cold medicine and was feeling nauseous. She then collapsed while still on the phone. Fearing for her sister's safety, Sally and, and her husband drove to Patsy's house. They got up to the house and then went to the front door, uh, but the door was locked and they couldn't get in. So when they got in, they then saw that she, Patsy was in the bedroom and uh, they thought that she just looked like she had kind of just passed out. And so they thought that's just what had happened. So they tried to get her up and it didn't work. Um, and then Sally's husband, Steve, began to uh, perform CPR. And when he was doing that, he said a lot of green fluid came up from her, out of her mouth and from her lungs. And I would continually spit that out onto the bed. Which or there you, was a towel there, I remember. Like fucking gross. Yeah. That would be, that would be disturbing to be performing like mouth to mouth on someone and then, and then like ugh. all this green fluid. It's like you would. It's like uh, the Exorcist or something. Yeah, <laughs> expect our head to spin around 360 degrees. Uh, the medics were unable to save her, sadly, and Patsy died shortly thereafter. Uh, first, no one suspected foul play, but in her phone call, Patsy had mentioned taking cold medicine. Which is later found. Which this bottle, of cold medicine, was later found to contain huge amounts of strychnine. So authorities ruled out product tampering or suicide. Why? Why would it? Why would they rule out product tampering? Isn't this similar to what happened with the Tylenol or or some this kind of scare that happened right. in the 80s, where there were these uh, pills that were laced with this with poison? Yeah, and that was, uh, I mean, and if this is the correct time period, then that was before the tamper, any kind of tamper-proof uh, packaging was yeah, in place. Yeah, it was 1987. So, I mean, they could have still had tamper-proof packaging, but, I mean, I don't know why you would just quickly rule out that. Um, but they ruled it out suicide, which doesn't really, I don't get it, like, what... And why? And, and uh, but I, I can understand. I mean, of all the ways to die, why would you pick strychnine poisoning? Uh, Patsy Wright seemed to have everything to live for. She had two children whom she was very close to. Uh, Patsy and her sister Sally were both successful businesswomen. They owned two wax museums worth millions of dollars. 
I don't know if the wax museums are worth that much nowadays, but you know, have you ever been to a wax museum? Um, I have not been to a wax museum. There is a tourist trap down in St. Augustine, Florida by my city and it's uh, the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, and they have some wax stuff in there. And they basically, if it's some kind of a tourist kind of attraction or tourist trap in this case, they just kind of like, you know, gouge you for uh, cash to go to their shitty uh, tourist trap. And That must not- be a really shitty Ripley's Believe It or Not uh, museum because it is the one I remember going to uh, in uh, Newport. I think it's in Newport. Uh, in Oregon, but I remember it being quite good. I, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, there was also a wax museum there, and I think I also saw that. I remember there were, I think there were some Star Wars wax, uh, uh, not really puppets. I don't think there was such a thing as wax puppets. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, wax uh, figures. I remember seeing Yoda. I remember seeing so, yeah there, there was I remember seeing some really big fat guy made I think it was the world's fattest guy made out of wax and then they had like the world's tallest guy I think made out of wax or something or it might have just been a normal uh, like uh, whatever they normally make them I don't fucking know <laughs> so anyway they own two wax museums which are apparently worth millions which I don't, I don't really know if I buy that wax museums being worth millions of dollars but okay. Also, Patsy had just bought three-quarter horses and planned to train them herself. Uh, Sergeant Jay Gustafson of the Arlington Police began to investigate Patsy's death as a murder. He had two clues which made him think that the killer was probably someone Patsy knew very well. First, the burglar alarm had not been set on the night that she died. Second, only those close to Patsy knew that she had a habit of taking nighttime cold medicine before bed. Yeah, that, that that does raise some red flags, that's for sure. The first people Sergeant Gustafson questioned were Patsy's sister and her brother and her brother-in-law. Uh, the sergeant looked for a motive. Patsy's wealth came from two wax museums she owned with Sally. Not only were the museum's tourist attractions, but they were also the centers of social life in their respective towns. When Patsy died, the museums were inherited by Sally and her husband Steve. Oh, okay. So now we, we as family members are being asked questions that you would you never even think you're ever going to be asked," said uh, Steve. Yeah, so it's so so now there's a uh, there's a motive, a motive for murder, if you will. Authorities felt that if Steve had poisoned Patsy, he would not have used mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to try to save her, taking potentially deadly liquid into his own mouth. Which that is, is a great. That's a great point. Uh, Steve and Sally Horning, along with other family members, voluntarily took polygraph tests. All of them passed. That doesn't mean anything, because polygraph tests are no longer accepted in courts anyway as as evidence. In any case, were they ever accepted? I don't think they were. Ever. I don't even think they ever were. So, because no. you know, they're not really viable. Uh, they they're notorious for people being able to easily pass them. Uh, Patsy's ex-husband Robert Cox was also questioned by Robert Cox was also questioned by Sergeant Gustafson. He was offered a polygraph test, the same as several others that had interviewed and taken statements from, and he refused to take the test. Patsy had obtained a restraining order against Cox during their separation because she claimed he was harassing her. But Robert Cox maintained his innocence, and there was no evidence to suggest that he was guilty. Huh. I mean, out of all the the suspects, (laughs) uh, the potential suspects, Cox does seem like the 
the most uh, plausible one to me. Is he the? I don't one, know about is, you. Is, is he? The, was he the husband? The yeah, he, he's the ex-husband. Oh right, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I don't know. I still although I, it could be Sally because she might have wanted you know the the business. I don't. I don't think it was Sally. I think. I think that. I don't know. You know, like I, I, I really like you brought up a good point at the beginning. It's like why, why was tampering taken off the, you know, table as as something that could have been. You know, because there was that whole aspirin epidemic thing going on in... in I think it was Tylenol. But yeah, because I think it was like these capsules that you break open. Yeah. And you can put stuff in. And then I think they put them back together and then... Yeah, so I I don't know. Um, I'm looking up the Chicago Tylenol murders right now to see uh, when when that was going on. Okay, so that happened September 29th and 30th of 1982. And for anybody... So that was... For, yeah, before that. For anybody who doesn't know, um, it was a, a series of poisoning deaths resulting from drug tampering in the Chicago metropolitan area in 1982. The victims had all taken Tylenol brand acetaminophen capsules that had been laced with potassium cyanide, which killed was sto- yeah. that stops your heart instantly. Potassium cyanide. Yeah. Um, it's used in war, you know, whenever a spy right, is That's captured. the stuff when they, you know, use the tablet and they put it in their mouth and they bite down on it. Yeah, and it's, that's, it just that's stops it your is. heart as soon as it gets in your system. Um, a total of seven people died in the original poisonings with several more deaths and subsequent copycat crimes. Um, the incidents led to reforms in the packaging of over-the-counter substances and federal anti-tampering laws. So, yeah, I guess this was after that, so... I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, but then again, um, they didn't get to the bottle and it was new. They got to it. At, who who knows? I mean, honestly. Um, yeah. And also just a side note, um, for anyone who might be wondering, um, Strychnine is, um, it's colorless and it is bitter as far as taste. But I mean, if you've ever taken cold medicine, you know, the it's bitter as well. So yeah, exactly. It's so it'd be, hard. be very hard to, to tell the difference. Yeah, to decipher. I mean, it it hide right in there, you know. So that's that's something that they, you know, I guess they wouldn't take the time out to explain that on the show. But that's something I, I just looked into yeah. as I was thinking about because I was like, you know, oh, I wonder why she did. Why? And apparently, yeah. Also, on the night that she died, it appeared that someone had been with her. Uh, next to her bed were two empty dinner plates on a tray. Could there have been an unknown visitor that night, intimate enough to know Patsy's personal habits and share a late night dinner with her? Or maybe she just had two meals, but she used two plates for whatever she was eating that night. I've done that before. I've had two dishes before. Like, I've had a plate full of chicken, and then I've had an extra plate where I put salad in it. I don't want to mix my salad with chicken. I just want a picture of you sitting down with, like, a big plate full of just fried chicken in front of you like i just want to see that image for some reason (laughs) i guess it's because you're so skinny and like i don't know it just (laughs) just (laughs) just the thought of you tearing into a plate full of chicken is something i can't mentally picture Uh, myself i can picture that very easily because i used to be fat you know so yeah (laughs) the thought of me doing that isn't so surprising but seeing you (laughs) just tearing into anyway yeah uh uh, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. That doesn't necessarily mean that she had some late night visitor, but some got, unknown yeah, visitor. That- yeah, I mean, I, I, but with typically though, I don't know. 
dude. What? It seemed like it seemed like the writers for this segment were like, okay, there's not a lot here other than the poison cough medicine. Yeah, there's really we, not we need to uh, stretch things out as much as we can. With this segment, I mean, I, I you know, I don't remember who picked it or whatever. Um, I, I I can see, I I guess the whole strychnine laced in the cough medicine is kind of one of the only things that makes this particular segment interesting to me. Um. I personally, and also that the strychnine that killed her was in pure powder form, the most concentrated type of the poison available. And very few outlets sell strychnine, and all sales are controlled by the federal government. So authorities hope that someone will remember a suspicious sale around the time of Patsy's death. Which nowadays, if you watch any show on Investigation Discovery or anything like that, they can go in and look at the damn security camera. and they, I mean, they can trace... They can trace back to who bought the bloody shovel at the Walmart on that particular street at yeah. that particular time. They can they pull they can pull all that stuff up now, no problem. But I mean, I guess at the time with at they, the time, no. Yeah. So now this would be a non-crime, or if it if it did happen, they'd have they'd already have the perpetrator. But at, at this time, I guess they just didn't have that because I mean, if if it's this controlled substance that's only sold to certain businesses and stuff like that because it's used in pe in like a lot of pest control stuff so i could see a lot of like yeah. pest control companies you know being allowed to get this in the powder form or whatever so you would think that 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 very narrowly limits the uh, or it, it broadly actually it, it eliminates a lot of people that could have even purchased it to begin with so you would think that um it'd make it easier to kind of weed out who it might have been but um you know, this was a different time and place, so... Well, and the case is still unsolved, so... Oh, God, that's yeah. so weird. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna... You're gonna find a lot of cases on this podcast tonight uh, are... You're, you're really gonna learn the, that, that uh, not every killer, not every evildoer gets their day from this, this episode tonight, because there's a lot of cases that we're I gonna think take. there's probably a pretty high percentage of, you know, especially around this time, uh, of crimes that people got away with uh, and were never prosecuted for or arrested or, or put in jail or or these crimes were never solved. And, you know, so the show lives up to its name uh, <laughs> in that regard. But I'm pretty sure the people who were behind the show, uh, who should not be named, they probably, uh, they would have liked they would have rather the case has been solved regardless of the show being called unsolved mysteries. Yeah. Cause you know, they want, they, you know, the best thing for these families and for these people that are interviewed is for these cases to be solved. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that you get a show that's entertaining, well-written, well-made and does a public good. I mean, it's, it yeah. is almost unheard of that you get a show that has a combination of all those things. Now, even See, though a lot of the stuff on ID is interesting, but it doesn't do, it doesn't, Oh, here's this case and here's what this guy might look like. You know, yeah. you see him, please contact us over the authorities. Um, th that type of show, there's one, it, it's, it's John Walsh's new show. Uh, I think it's called, Oh damn. What the hell was it called? I forgot the name of the show. <laughs> Because uh, uh, John Walsh is is the the guy behind America's Most Wanted, right? Which started airing around the same time as Unsolved Mysteries, and a lot of the same murder cases that were that were uh, covered on Unsolved Mysteries were also covered on America's Most Wanted. And America's Most Wanted, uh, when it was on air, it caught a lot of criminals. 
but it didn't it didn't really have it didn't really have the entertainment value uh that unsolved mysteries had uh with the it, i i still i remember i have a lot of fond memories of that show yeah no it was, because, a, it was a good show it just wasn't it wasn't uh you know it, it just didn't have the theatricality that unsolved mysteries no did. no it didn't uh, because it i think it probably had a lower budget that's why it didn't have as high of a budget as unsolved mysteries did but um i still think the reenactments were and for the most part we're on par with unsolved mysteries i just think the host you know john walsh i, I think is he's a good I, it's just i you know i haven't seen episodes of the show in years because i can't seem to find any of them oh big surprise. I, I, I would like to but i can't seem to find any of them anywhere and and i would like to revisit them sometime but i just it's nowhere to be found not even on the internet like in, on sites i i can't find anything so um but yeah john walsh has a new show that i don't remember the name of but people who are familiar with john walsh already know what it is so i guy must be getting uh, up there in years at this point because i remember him being kind of gray-haired and stuff back in the day when i'd watch america's most wanted he must be uh must be pretty i elderly. think he was one of those guys who went gray early in his life well, he did lose, you know, his son was murdered and all that. At, at, and like, exactly. You know, That's, so. That was the, the, you know, he has a definite connection to all of this. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, ultimately, I, I have no... The show is called The Hunt. Oh, okay. It's on CNN. So, that there's a reason why I didn't remember it, because it's a very generic title. Yeah. <laughs> The hunt for pumpkins. What are we hunting for? I don't know. It could be anything. The hunt for Red October. Who knows? Love that movie. I've never seen Have it. You seen that? Of course. No, I knew it. Of course, I, I was just wait. I was just waiting for that. It's and funny. Like, I, know, I, I, I know. I wasn't even setting that up as like a funny thing. Where I'm like, hey, Mike. I, I just I like by <laughs> by nature. I was like, haven't seen it. You know, like. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this Patsy Wright one, would I have normally picked it? No, just because I didn't feel like it had a lot of meat on the bone, you know, and... I can see why people, it stood out to people, though, because the whole, just the idea behind, I mean, can you imagine that? You're already sick. You're miserable. Well, she wasn't sick. She she oh. she she got into that habit that most, that a lot of people oh, get into. Oh, oh, so, so they didn't really, they didn't really, uh elaborate on that well, they, they mentioned that she had a habit of taking uh, uh of this yeah this but, but every they night didn't, they didn't say like oh it's it's like for you know well i just high. i just know for no no it wasn't to, it's not to get high it's got it's got sedative uh qualities yeah. in it so a lot like my mom used to take tylenol pm oh, a lot of people are addicted to coffee they they it, it does it gives them a sort of high that's what i meant they they drink coffee yeah medicine. like like rappers you know sipping their scissor yeah. out of their you know and and yeah, yeah that's a whole different animal but what i'm talking about is people there are people before they go to bed and i i you know that they, they just out of habit they'll take two tablets of Tylenol pm and it just helps yeah. them go to sleep that's well essentially re regardless i mean that do. it's still a terrifying thing to think about well yeah because I mean, this um, is a regular routine that you do it's like for instance you know if Somebody like laced your toothpaste with strychnine or something. And yeah, you're just and doing you're not expecting. You're not expecting. And you're just it, brushing you know. your teeth before you go to bed, and then you end up dead later. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty freaky. Well, yeah, you just start feeling really shitty out of literally the middle of nowhere, and you're like, "What's going on?" And uh, strychnine, just uh, as a uh, just to educate people here, um, it. Um, 
has a convulsant effect with the muscles, and uh, so it, it makes it makes you go into muscular convulsions, and it eventually kills you through asphyxiation, meaning that uh, essentially, I guess your lungs seize up, and you just you can't you 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 suffocate, which has to be one of the worst deaths I can imagine. I mean, yeah, exactly. I used to have really bad panic attacks where I would like hyperventilate to the point where I felt like I couldn't breathe, and that feeling of like not being able to breathe. Um, that is one of the worst feelings like ever. Yeah. That's, that's a terrible, another, another interesting, uh, point, point to make, I think is, yeah, they they said the, uh, the husband of Sally was eliminated because of his mouth to mouth. Well, there are some people who are clever enough that they'll do that in order to eliminate themselves as a suspect. So that's something to think about as well. Yeah. But you know, I, I I remember watching a like this one case or hearing about these few cases on like the Investigation Discovery Channel, and even even in those cases where they do this kind of like faux um, CPR or faux you know resuscitative efforts, uh, the courts are you the det- the detectives are usually able to sniff out the fake attempts from the real attempts. Well, like, what, what I'm saying, there ha- I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying actually do it. Because there have been instances like that, yeah, where you know they just do everything they possibly can, cover all their bases, and I think that's why a lot of some of that's why a lot of the uh, killers who get away with some of the things that they do is because they just they're one step ahead of, of the police and end up just well. Think about you know, Marie Hilly, you know, yeah, female Black Widow there, you know, like loving mother, and she was poisoning her husband and kids. So nope. I don't know who who I don't know. I have I, I don't know either. I have no clue. I just I just have a guess and you know it, it could I, I think there's probably some, to me I think I'm leaning towards either the ex-husband but I don't know cuz she put a restraining order against him but I still don't see what his what his motive would be other than just just I hate you bitch and die other than that. Uh the Motive, though, for her sister, to there is something there, you know, because they ended up taking over the company after she passed away, after, you know, Patsy died. So hmm. all I have is a wing and a prayer. Why was that phrase? <laughs> Are you po- living on a prayer? Why was that phrase popular in like the 80s and so many songs? And then you literally never heard that phrase again after the 80s. Oh, a wing and a prayer. I don't, I don't know. Pro- was it Bon Jovi? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> no, that you're thinking of living on a prayer, but there's like a lot of there there's a there's a lot of 80s pop songs where I remember the phrase on a wing and a prayer and then it's like Nirvana happened and grunge and then you just that phrase just became very passé. Um yeah. not that I'm complaining because I think it's a very corny phrase that instantly dates something, but um yeah, anyway, that's god, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to uh Tommy Burkett, the Death, I should say death, because that's more all-encompassing than suicide or murder. Um, This is another one of those cases where somebody got away with something, possibly, or who knows. So we'll delve into it. This was yet another request. So uh, this one, actually, I think was pretty good. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying the other one was bad. I'm just like, I was more with this one. I was like, okay, yeah, I I could see why someone would want to talk about this one. Um. 
When he died at the age of 21, Tommy Burkett was a junior at Marymouth University at Arlington, Virginia, just down the road from Washington, D.C. Tommy's parents lived there some or Tommy's parents lived some 20 miles from the campus. His mother Beth was an instructor there. On Sunday, December 1st, 1991, Tommy was at home after the Thanksgiving holiday, kind of around this time actually. His parents had been out of the house for most part most of the afternoon and his parents returned home. And when they came home, they confronted an unimaginable horror. They the dad went up to Tommy's room. Tommy was sitting upright on a sofa in his bedroom. He had been shot once through the mouth. A revolver rested in his hand. Virtually from the moment that the police arrived on the scene that night, they've insisted that Tommy committed suicide. Case closed. Um, now, I mean, talk about unimaginable horror. Good Lord. I mean, your parents yeah. come home from shopping and, you know, you're thinking about Christmas. The dad goes upstairs. And in the reenactment, the uh, the actors... Um, they, they, they portrayed the grief and the, you know, and the reactions were, were very well done, I thought. You know, it was like the dad found the son. He's like, oh, no. He's like, don't go in there. And, you know, and he, yeah. he wouldn't let Very mom... effective anguish. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just, that's, it just sucks. It really does. I mean, that's awful. That's horrible. Yeah, you people are being oh. real bummers to us lately, picking all these sad cases. Can you pick something more light? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get? I'm starting to want a, a heartwarming reunion after all these murders. <laughs> that's that's why they would throw that in the show too. The the reunions because um, yeah. they they wanted some levity from uh, you know all the. But I don't know. I, anyway, um, so the police were saying that it was a suicide. Tommy's parents have pieced together an elaborate case for Tommy's murder, however, which implicate officials from both Fairfax, Virginia Police Department and the Drug Enforcement Agency. Ooh, what's that about? Let's figure it out. Tom and Beth's suspicions began minutes after discovering their son's body. Quote, I went over close to him and I touched his hand and they were stone cold. But I just kept saying over and over again that everything would be all right and that we would find them and we loved him. Sad. His mother said yeah. that. Um, so, um, the dad said, you know, as soon as that, you know, the dad and the mom is, you know, they're around their son, their deceased son, you know, as he's sitting, which I find it so bizarre that he's sitting up in the sofa. That's kind of creepy, you know, cause you expect a body to be laying down flat. Um, the dad saying, well, yeah, I mean, and that's why the investigators should look at to see what would happen. Okay. If he is going to shoot himself that way, like, Right, because I mean, they what, did what that. What is going to happen with the body? They literally, they that's that's like your typical kind of ballistics type test. They did that for George Reeves, you know, Superman. They did that for, uh, you know, they did that for Kurt Cobain. They did that for any any time that it's thought to be a suicide and there's a firearm involved. They usually will go that extra mile, but uh, apparently not in this case. The dad noticed that the gun. Um, as he picked it up in his moment of emotion, he noticed that the gun, uh, the cylinder was unlatched. Um, he was surprised by this because the gun could not have been fired in that condition. Paramedics arrived at 6.20 p.m. Um, the mother's quoted by saying, After fire and rescue left, uniformed, uh, a uniformed officer entered the house and he was in a hurry, which I thought was strange because my son mm -hmm. had just died. The officer said, don't blame yourself. And she said, I don't. I said, 
uh, or he, then the officer said, I've seen hundreds of these suicides and there's nothing you could have done, which is just the most cold, most blanket kind of, you know, in, in the reenactment. They it's sh- like if he was a doctor or something. Yeah. And the reenactment, you know, showing they show, no emotion. yeah, they show the cop and then the cops literally like running into the house. Like, you know, OK, come on, let's go. You know, uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about your loss. Yeah, there's nothing you could have done. Yeah, these things happen. OK, you know, next case. And that's kind of how it was uh, handled. Uh, according to Beth and Tom, uh, his parents, he soon um, the uh, after the uh, detective went upstairs to investigate Tommy's room himself. He soon emerged with a bank deposit slip. On the bank deposit slip, it was written the words "I want to be cremated," to which you know the detective was like, "Uh huh. See here. See here." Well, to me, when I when I when I saw that, I was like, "Well, I don't know. I mean, that's very specific." For some, for a suicide. Yeah, you know? it's not your typical suicide. No, uh, you know, uh, I mean that it, it's not. It's not like addressed to the family. It doesn't really have this sort of. I love it, you guys. A, yeah, I'm it's sorry. not like it's not an example of somebody who's. You know, most people when they commit suicide, you know, if they leave a note, you know, it's, it's, it, it's represent it's rep, it's a representation of what's going on in their head on paper this is just like i want to be cremated like i don't it's like straight to business like just business yeah it's like uh hey i left my keys uh in the uh, second drawer in there if you guys if you need to take me and use my car for anything oh by the way i'm dead you know it's kind of like one of those <laughs> yeah. you know kind of weird very cold imagine that <laughs> yeah. that's the suicide note <laughs> Um, but after the detective showed them that slip, the parents were response was that that wasn't Tommy's handwriting, you know, and I'm sure the detective who's already in a hurry was probably like annoyed by that. Like, oh, of course, the parents don't want to accept that it's a suicide. And of course, they're saying it's not his handwriting. Then Tommy's dad told the detective that fire and rescue squad said that Tommy's been dead for hours, to which the officer said, no, it just happened. He said it probably happened when you were driving down the street. And I'm thinking, to my, like me, Josh, I'm thinking to myself, gee, that, that would make me feel real good as a parent. Oh, yeah, no, it, it just happened. It probably happened right before you guys drove into your house, actually. Um, which, again, was uh, contradictory to the evidence because as his dad was quoted by saying, it didn't take a medical person to realize that Tommy had been dead for hours. He was cold. He was stiff. Any layman would have surmised that he had been dead for hours. Uh, According to a spokesman for the police department, though, for this show, a uh, thorough investigation had been conducted. To the police, the facts spoke for themselves. It was an open and shut case of suicide, but it told a different story to Beth. It was just the unlatched, you know, it was the unlatched gun, the suspicious note, and then... Tommy's glasses, wallet, and driver's license were all missing as well. Two days after Tommy's death, his parents went to his dorm room to collect his belongings, which I can only imagine is one of the most depressing moments of somebody's of a parent's life or anybody's life who loses a loved one. Um, one of the administrators walked into the dorm and handed the uh, handed Tommy's parents his driver's license, but then the administrator wouldn't give out any information about the student who turned in Tommy's license. Which is, again, Mm -hmm. like, why, you know, well, who turned it in? Maybe we should be talking to this person. And it was kind of one of those, I'm sorry, sir, we can't give out the information. Why the fuck not? Someone just died. 
Why, like, why, why uh, wouldn't you? It could be policy. I mean, I mean, that could be it. I mean, like some doctors, you know, we're not allowed to give you that information, you know, confidentiality agreement type stuff for their students. I mean, I guess so, if, I guess if they were the police, they would be able to get that info. But I mean, yeah. Jesus, the police weren't really, uh, you know, it's just so weird that they were so quick to be like, oh, yeah, it's a suicide. We're not really going to fuck with this case. Any yeah, further. I mean, when it they seems like been, either it, the, the detective guy was really in a hurry. Like he's like, I, I got Christmas shopping to do or something. I don't know what the guy was doing there. It, was, it didn't seem very professional to me at all. So. so then Tommy's parents decided to canvas the neighborhood. Um, they were surprised as to what they had seen, the, their neighbors had seen. Several had noticed a car chase. One neighbor said it looked serious, like life or death car chase. One neighbor reported that one car drove through a neighbor's yard. He was able to get away from them, though, and return to the house. Tommy was. Um, another neighbor observed a particular or a peculiar incident at 515 hours after paramedics said that Tommy should have been dead. The neighbor said that she observed Tommy's car being driven erratically without its lights on. And I'm guessing at 5.15, this is, you know, December, so it's dark already. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this Tommy's car is driving erratically in the neighborhood with the lights off, which was suspicious to the neighbor because it was unlike Tommy's driving habits. Um, they were very surprised that um, law enforcement didn't contact the neighbors. Um, then a representative for the case on the police side of things said that they did contact the neighbors and they found no info that led them to believe that it was a suicide. Uh, I don't, I don't buy that. This 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 screams of a cover up by the police. It screams of oh why to me the what reason why I don't buy it is because why would the why would the neighbors give that information? Only to the parents. I mean that that's that they probably relayed the same information. Oh, he was being chased by some guy in a car to the police. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like the police carry around like a progress report that says, Okay, here's all the things that you know, here's all the people we talked to and what they said, and we're showing it to you right now to prove that you know, we did that. They don't give that to the parents. They just say that, you know, oh, uh, an investigation was done and we found that blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, that's just kind of their blanket thing that they say. Um, then later, on top of all this, Beth found blood spackles by the stairs. Uh, they informed authorities, but nothing was done. Then Tommy and Beth made a bitter decision. They decided to have Tommy's body exhumed for a second autopsy. The new findings added to their growing belief that Tommy was murdered. Unexplained abrasions, bruising around the right ear, and a broken jaw. At this yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, that, pretty, dude, that's, that's telling. That's telling. That's telling. That's telling as hell. Exactly. That's so, definitely telling. So then the parents hired Paul Kish, a forensics consultant, and he concluded that the scene was not consistent with suicide, and that there was there was some other violent altercation that went on like some sort of a gunshot or something like that but not in like a suicidal manner um then a spent bullet was found in tommy's room which bolstered beth's belief that suicide that the suicide was staged um 
Unable to identify tissue on the lead bullet core was one thing, because, you know, they figured, well, you find the spent shell, you'd find some kind of, of human tissue on there. Uh, they also had a negative test for blood. Uh, to Tommy's parents, the terrifying picture of Tommy's last hours began to emerge. Beth resolved to find out if Tommy telephoned for help on the day that he died. She said um, that the person she was speaking to said on the computer screen it showed his name and the time he called. He made two consecutive calls, but the messages have been deleted. She was mm. like, well, how do I find out what those messages were? I need, I need to know what my son said. And so she said, the, the operator lady said that she had to check with her supervisor. And then she also found out while she was talking to her that um, Tommy had filed two complaints. Now, I'm guessing this must be some kind of campus um, operator or something, because obviously you don't, or maybe it was the, no, I guess this could have been just the normal 911 operator, because I guess you could, they could pull that information up too. Um, she then learned that, uh, he had filed two complaints and when she came back from consulting with the supervisor, she had an about face and said that, no, Tommy never called 911 and I don't know why his name is coming up on the computer screen. It, now, that, now, I mean, come on, dude. If this isn't like just stinks of just rotten, uh, lies and very cover fishy. up extremely fishy like you could smell this fish from a mile away fishy um this is like when i saw this i was like uh, are we sure this isn't like a movie screenplay or something like because that's how just crazy this story is because it, it, it seems like it's just something straight out of like jason Bourne or something you know there's all just re all these different layers to it all this it's a total cover-up yeah the, the Go into the nine one one operator, and then she goes in and says, "Oh yeah, your son did make some calls, but the messages have been deleted." And then you ask for them, and then she goes and talks to her supervisor. And she's like, "I don't know why his name is on the computer, but he didn't call nine one one." Yeah, it doesn't work that way, you know. The a name isn't just going to be there in error it, for two, maybe one instance. Okay, I'll give you that, but. For two separate instances, I don't buy it. Uh, if Tommy did indeed call 911, uh, were the form records innocently erased or purposefully purged? More importantly, if Tommy had called, why were his pleas for help ignored by the authorities? Tommy's parents started to re-examine an event that happened three weeks before Tommy's death. Tommy had phoned his parents and he was freaking out about how his mailbox was smashed and his paycheck was stolen. In fact, everything in the mailbox was stolen. Tommy wasn't sure what was what could have been in the mailbox, but he was expecting something that was apparently a big deal, and he didn't want anybody to know about it. So he was freaking out about that more than he was even freaking out about the uh, paycheck. Hmm. Now, could it have been a dildo? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I wrote that in my notes, and I was like... <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of. It's like, mom, these people, I really don't want them to find out about this. You don't understand. Like, uh, so it'd be really bad if they found it. Or it's a strap on. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm it just shows my maturity level. People. All I can, I mean, can, can you imagine your parents 
Finding that in the mail? Yeah. Mom, it was Big Bertha, the biggest size they had. I don't want anyone knowing about this. <laughs> People, you get what you pay for with this podcast. That's all I'm saying. So, but in all seriousness, no, he he had some kind of package was or something was arriving in his mailbox, and whoever the perpetrators of this crime were, they they got to it before he did, and he and that that caused him a great deal of of stress. Um, Beth then had a troubling account with a student from the Marymount campus. The student said that there were, um, you know, she was walking up in the segment there. And uh, she saw these three kids, and they all look like they're straight out of a '90s skateboarding advertisement with their haircuts and how they're dressed and all. And the, look like they're from a Capri Sun ad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the mom's like, "Oh, hey there. Have you seen Tommy today?" And the kid's like, "No, but when I do, tell him that there's three people looking to beat him up." So she recalled that happened, and then later she was told the same person who made the threat, the threat, uh, the threatening assault to Tommy. Um, was the person who turned in the ID, his his uh, his driver's license, Ooh. and then also the same person who made this threat apparently assaulted Tommy off campus. Uh, Tommy confronted his tormentor hours later, uh, I guess after this assault, and it's, uh, there's some really bad acting going on in this part. He's like, yeah. "Who are you? Why do you keep doing this to me? And why don't you just leave me alone?" <laughs> it was it was bad trust me it was so, it was so bad it was good kind of acting it was like it was uh, it was just it was it was horrible it was very bad acting it was like keanu reeves circa bill and ted <laughs> sex on adventure i don't you know i i, I like bill and ted but i actually love bill and ted but that's just my go-to bad acting, great acting. Voice, i guess i don't know it's not great acting <laughs> Appar- but it's not supposed to be bill and ted. yeah well apparently uh after Tommy confronted the tormentor. The tormentor kicked his ass, and um, you know that's that's the person who beat Tommy up. That's all. Like, Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> so he's kicking my ass. <laughs> this so does not rule. <laughs> <laughs> Bogus. Some people were saying that Tommy was investigating a drug ring at the college. So this is where the DEA comes in. Uh, Many accounts corroborate with each other. And the story goes that Tommy was paid by the... He was the paid DEA on campus, basically. And he was an informant who knew too much. According to Beth and Tom, an informant said Tommy was beaten to death with a baseball bat. And phone books were used to minimize marks and absorb blood splatter. Well, that's a technique I've never heard of before. Yeah, I've never heard of that technique before. Makes sense, though. I mean, you know, you put a telephone book over someone's face. uh, Maybe they used an aluminum baseball bat instead of a wooden one. Well, no, in the segment, segment it's wooden. But, I mean, if you think about it, though, if you, like, open up, because, like, the the front and back of a phone book's glossy, so you'd have to open it up and put the book on, like, his face with it open, and then you'd have to proceed to beat the phone book, which would then transfer the blow to the guy's face. Yeah. And I would imagine that it would disperse the blow in a more even way as to not leave one specific mark on the dude like a bat would. It just seems really, I don't know. It's a little far-fetched, but not outside the That's the the type of thing that I would like to see uh, forensics experts actually try to recreate to see if it actually could actually work. 
to see if that would that type of uh, way to kill somebody actually would end up not causing you know a lot of blood spatters and stuff like that. And I'm sure there's a certain group of people in a certain Facebook group that I'd love that I'm sure you'd love to see be the test subjects of that uh, test. Uh, <laughs> anyway. anyway. No. <laughs> I'm done with that group. Anyway, uh, um, yeah. inside uh, story there that you guys will unfortunately never get to hear. Um, parents had noticed their phone books were missing, and a baseball bat in Tommy's room was missing the grip tape. And the parents were saying that we didn't remove the grip tape, you know. But then it's kind of like, well, how often do you keep tabs on the grip tape on your son's baseball bat? Yeah, exactly. Okay, honey, going in for your monthly check to make sure everything in your room is exactly how I remember it. Okay, <laughs> grip tape still on baseball bat. Okay, the porno magazine still under the bed. Check. Uh, black dildo. Okay, check, check, check. Um, all right, everything looks good. If anything's different, when I come back next month, I'll know someone was tampering. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, <laughs> wait a second, did I just say black dildo? I got to get dildos off my mind. Um, this is a that, this is that's officially a bit too much uh, information, Josh. <laughs> this is officially no longer anywhere close to a family oriented podcast. I mean, am I? Yeah. I'm, hey, <laughs> this isn't too much information about me. I'm just I'm just throwing out. I, I'm just throwing out made up scenarios. Why you have all that here. stuff on your head? Really? Why? I, I don't think about dildos all the time. Well, <laughs> why not? Maybe you should. And this this podcast is quickly de- derailing. Um, okay. Um, so anyway, so that that was their whole thing. Like the phone books are missing, um, a- along with the corroborating uh, tale of him being beaten to death with the you know using of the phone books and the broken jaw and the abrasions, and it's all starting to kind of come together. Well, and also that the fish guy, like Paul Kish, Paul Kish, not fish. <laughs> uh, Paul Kish. Uh, he actually did confirm that the blood that they saw on the steps was blood. So. Yeah. Which, if you kill yourself in a room upstairs, how the hell would that get downstairs? Yeah. And that, to me, also sounds like a sloppy cleanup job. Like, if there's yeah. only a little bit of blood they splatter. They probably could have sprayed uh, luminol in the house and probably could have found a lot of blood. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the DAA, the DEA, if I can say the word, has officially denied any connection to Tommy Burkett. And the police in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, still consider his death a suicide. The mom, though, is going on to say that the students had assistance in Tommy's death with people with, quote, people who have more experience in law enforcement than the students did. A.K.A. she's calling out the cops without saying the cops were involved. She's saying the, I, the cops, yeah. you know, people who have more experience in law enforcement than the students. I mean, what other, how else can you slice that? I mean, some pre-law student, you know, is she insinuating that? No, she's saying she thinks the cops, uh, there's some kind of a drug ring going on in the university. Uh, Tommy knew too much, uh, and they took him out, and... Um, you know, and now, uh, and, and judging by just the the sloppy job that the cops did, and their kind of lack of investigation, that convenient note that said, "I want to be cremated," it just, I I got to agree on this one. I think that this was a cover up. I don't think this was a normally. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a suicide, but in this one, I I don't think he killed himself. I don't I don't really think he had a uh, compelling reason to. 
Um, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it was a suicide. The evidence doesn't really support that. I also think that there was some sort of cover-up involved. Now, whether or not it's it's tied directly to the drug ring on the campus, which by the reenactment, I'm just having this image of like a bunch of skater guys from the 90s like having some drug ring on campus. And it's just not very believable to me, but who knows? <laughs> I mean, maybe that's how it was. <laughs> a bunch of extreme 90s kids and having an extreme drug ring. Um, but uh, maybe one of the people who is doing the drug or, you know, is involved with the drug ring was actually uh, related to maybe somebody who worked in the police department. So maybe they're trying to cover up uh, their actions uh, in order to, you know, not mar the name of the police, you know, the guy working for the police. I mean, that's happened many times, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we, or we, we, it's or there's dirty cops. I, we've done enough of these podcasts at this point to uh, to know that there are such things as crooked cops and you know people who are in bed with other people and people who do things yeah. outside the letter of the law for their own financial gain. So I mean, uh, you know, you'd be naive to think that uh, that that yeah. that is not at all a factor here. Maybe the DEA itself, maybe there's some people involved that, and there have been cases of this where there have been people who have worked for the DEA who are actually, you know, selling drugs on the side and, you know, making money and things like that. Well, I and mean, maybe, just the whole Don Devereaux interview, he, I mean, he basically said that there were, there are top level CIA officials who were working outside of their official capacity who have, who essentially had, um, you know, gold bullion that they had, you know, acquired through unlawful means that basically gave them a slush fund to do all these uh, kind of South American wars that they didn't have to explain to Congress, you know, where the, where the money's, yep. you know. So, I mean, the mm -hmm. you know, these things definitely happen. I mean, this is a smaller kind of microcosm of something like that. But, you know, th this is uh, looking more and more like um, what definitely did happen. Um, I believe it's more on the grounds of uh, the Fairfax um, cops rather than the DEA per se, um, and um, the uh, yeah because look what his mailbox was stolen, and he was waiting for something, and that makes you think like, you know, I don't I don't think it was a dildo, of course. I I think it, I think it was, but probably, it could have been though. It it could have been a dildo. It probably wasn't, but. I'm thinking it was information of the DEA. I, I think that might have been what it was. Like the case is almost closed. The the information was going to be sent to him or whatever or something. Or he was going to be sent drugs. So then he could try to, I don't know, uh, go undercover in this ring. And maybe these people heard about it. I mean, that's my, the reason why I think about the DEA might be involved. Because the DNA, the DEA, <laughs> DNA, the DEA, I, I mean, they know, they knew that he was doing this stuff. And that he was working for them. So if somebody wanted to get rid of him, uh, then they could have easily figured that out through the DEA. DEA. That's a I hard, think there's somebody that's a hard who's, acronym for you, isn't it, Mike? It is. DEA, DNA, whatever. <laughs> well, the, the segment does go on to mention that the FBI has since requested a probe into how the Fairfax police handled the investigation. So that just kind of bolsters... Um, that that kind of train of thought of uh, it being a, a murder instead of a suicide. Um, 
Tommy's dad saying, you know, seems like no matter how much evidence is dumped into the laps of law enforcement, they are failing to do anything, which is weird. Um, so, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. And, and as, as kind of an eerie no, uh, side note here, Tommy Burkett's room remains exactly how it was the night of Tommy's death. There is still a bullet hole in the wall and bloodstains on the floor. Nothing has been moved or clean, uh, cleaned. Beth and Tommy feel as though it's a crime scene and have preserved it for future investigation. And sadly, his mom actually passed away of cancer in 2003 oh. without actually being able to solve her son's death or the cause of his death. That sucks. Yeah, it does. You know, it, it, it's you know the, the, this this podcast isn't exactly a happy feel good podcast. No, it isn't. It's not called the uh, Uncovering Happy Feelings podcast. So you know the black dildos are thrown in every now and then to add some levity, but uh, yeah, that is uh, that that does suck, and um, you know my heart goes out to them, and you know. People are victims of these of these incidences. It happens. It's unfortunate, but I mean, you could get hit by a car when you walk outside of your house tomorrow, or you could get involved in something like this. I mean, anything can happen, you know. I mean, the 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 many ways you can die in this world are so many that that yeah. you, you know, really every every breath is is a gift, you know. And I'm not trying to sound too cliched here by saying that but i mean it's like you know you, you kind of have to take this stuff as it comes and and just you know it's kind of like that phrase shit happens you know i mean it, it it's one of it, these things happen to people you just hope that it's not somebody you know love or care about but your heart yeah. definitely goes out to people that you uh hear about with this i kind think of stuff he had the right intention with what he was doing as well if he was trying to work with the dea i, I think he had the right he was trying to do the right thing and that's what's so frustrating is, you know, when people die uh, because they, they were just trying to do the right thing and they were in the wrong place at the right time. All right, let's get let's let's uh, talk about more murders. Yay! <laughs> that's right. More murders. Just how you people seem to like it. You sick sons of guns. All right. Son of a gun. God, that was corny. I should have either went for son of a bitch or not said anything at all. Like I went, I went halfway, like middle of the road insult, and it just came off sounding stupid. Uh, it's like one of those badly dubbed TV movies, like you know, where they just dub some really like in Scarface, where they dubbed it, and it's like, why don't you, why don't you stick your head in the toilet and see if it fits? <laughs> this whole town is like a chicken waiting to get plucked. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my favorites is RoboCop, which they end up just dubbing all this stuff. So there's a scene where this guy, he's like robbing this convenience store and he sees first he's RoboCop who shows up is about to bust his ass. And he's all, in the movie. He's like, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. And he's shooting at RoboCop and the bullets are just bouncing off and not doing anything. But in the edited version, he's like, why me? Why me? Why me? <laughs> Which honestly makes a little more sense than fuck me. Um, yeah, but it's it's hilarious though. Why me? Dun 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 dun. Trying to do the theme there. Did not do it very well. Anyway. <laughs> Mike Mike's over there nailing the theme. 
Yeah. Does that theme just get you pumped or what? Oh, it does. All right. Except when it's poorly remixed in the crappy reboot. That's that's awful. Well, we typically don't like reboots here at the podcast, so. Um, this next case was in my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. So um, I don't remember who requested this. My brother could have requested this for all I... Yeah, you know what? I think my brother did request requ- request this. Even though he doesn't listen, listen to the podcast and he's an asshole, he, uh, he was always like, dude, why don't you talk about the Bonnie Haim story? Like, that happened right here in Jacksonville, and they just recently updated it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'll add it to my list. And I guess here we are. So this request comes from my brother. It's a good we'll case. Probably to, never listen to this. Who will never <laughs> listen to this? Uh, yeah, but just you know, because he bitches about it and all, I can be like, I did cover the case. Now shut up. You don't let's do it anyway. <laughs> um, I like uh, I liked this case just for the per- the fact that he has a personal connection to it. Um, he works. For, well, I'll I'll get into that when we talk about it more. Um, Jacksonville, Florida. Christmas morning of 1992, yours truly was four years old. I was probably enjoying opening up some uh, NES games for Christmas and some X-Men action figures, and I was not uh, under threat of being murdered, unlike these people. Um, A young wife opened up presents. Her husband, Michael, captured it all on videotape. Less than two weeks later, Bonnie Haim would inexplicably vanish. Police suspected that Bonnie was dead and the victim of foul play. Police suspected Michael. The most surprising witness turned out to be Bonnie and Michael's three-year-old son. And I have so much more extra details than what's in this uh, segment here, which is just always juicier. Um, There were two sides to this contorted tale. Bonnie's side of the family surprisingly believed that she was unhappily married and willfully abandoned her son. But yet some members of Michael's family are convinced that Bonnie is dead and Michael killed her, which is usually not how this goes. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. Usually the the wife's side of the family believes she was murdered by the spouse and the husband's side of the family believed that she was unhappy and just left. But in this, it's the opposite, which is nuts. So he must have really made a good damn impression on, uh, on yeah. the family. Because that's one of the first times I remember ever hearing uh, it being like that when it comes to any case on the feature on the show. They then interview Michael's sister, who was basically saying Bonnie had to be dead because there's no way she would ever leave her kid. And you got Bonnie's dad, who's saying... Women leave their spouses all the time, and it's always unexpected. And it's just like, again, the weird twist of that, you know, the dad. Yeah. And it's like, well, why isn't she getting in touch with you, dude? Why isn't she saying, hey, mom and dad, I'm not dead, you know, just thought you might want to know that. You know, I'm safe wherever, you know, I am, you know, at this current moment, you know. So, anyway. And her son, I mean, you know, the kid as well. It's like, hmm. Yeah. So, Most mothers don't really leave their kids, but there are mothers that never wanted the kid to begin with. So Yeah, that does happen. Michael worked at a man- as a manager at a construction supply company with his aunt, who was- whose name is Yvonne. Yvonne's a pretty important character in this story. Bonnie did their accounts. Um, 
Avon claimed that Michael was abusive to Bonnie at the office. Avon also claimed that at least once Mike's abuse became physical. Avon says that Bonnie decided to leave her husband and she opened a bank account in her own name. She had the bank statements mailed to her work. When Michael found out, he was enraged and, you know, it started like this whole big thing with them. Michael confronted Bonnie about it and she closed the account. But to those closest to Bonnie, uh, they knew that she never wavered in, in wanting to leave Michael. She continued to put away money, she secured her own apartment, and she even looked into a new preschool to enroll her son into. On the evening of January 6, 1993, Bonnie came home from work at around 7.30pm. She planned to stop by Yvonne's at 8 to finalize plans for a baby shower. Whose baby shower it was, we don't know. At 8.30, she called Yvonne and said she couldn't make it. She sounded upset in her, and, and she said her and Michael had gotten into a discussion. But the next morning, neither Bonnie nor Michael showed up to work. Michael claimed he didn't know where she went, and they got into an argument and she just left. Hopes for, hoping for Bonnie's safe return uh, began to dim when her purse was found in a dumpster by a Jacksonville airport. Bye. Yeah, when that happens, normally... That person is not alive. Yeah, and Jacksonville so, only has one airport, so it's the one that we kind of live close to, which is creepy. Um, I remember picking my grandma up from that airport, so I know exactly what airport they're talking about. Hashtag local. Um, the purse was secured by a maintenance worker, and all the money and credit cards were found intact in the purse. Mike and his dad were in a kind of an investigation kind of area with uh, in, in like some room. It looked like a hotel room according to reenactment. And they were in there with a police officer. Um and Avon came in. Michael's first statement to Avon was, quote, "What the hell was Bonnie doing with all that money?" Not, "Oh my god, my wife is missing" or Wow, this is crazy. I'm so sad. Yeah. None, none of that. That's suspicious. That's very suspicious. So, Mike insisted from the start that he was not involved. He said that on the night of January 6th, Bonnie drove off alone around 11 p.m. He called his mom, Carolyn, to come over to watch their kids as he went to go search for Bonnie. That's eerie, because my stepmom's name is Carolyn. According, yeah. to, according to Carolyn, he was gone for approximately 45 minutes. He came back and waited for Bonnie. Never calling the police, detectives were less than convinced by Michael's account, which led investigators back to the airport in which they found her car. What was unusual about the car was the driver's seat. It was more in relation, it was more in relation to Michael Haim's size than it was into Bonnie's, so uh, the, the seat had been moved. After the car was processed, they found a very specific shoe print on the driver's side of the car. The pair, uh, the, the shoe print was tracked back to a pair of shoes that Mike Haim owned. The father of Bonnie says, well, that's interesting, but beyond that, I'm not sure if it means anything. He said, uh... he, he said my, my footprints are in my wife's car as well, but that doesn't mean I killed her. Well, and I, I agree with that. I mean, I agree with that, but that doesn't have any. That's a completely different scenario. Like, like your wife isn't dead now, is she? So, yeah, but it, but it's not inherently bizarre for your husband's no, shoe print to be in no, in the car. It, it isn't. 
But uh, the seat being moved, that's more of a yes. something. And the fact that the print had been made by the last person to drive the car. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if there's any way they could tell that, honestly. That's a circumstantial Yeah, piece it's a of circumstantial anyway. piece of evidence, right. And that's why he's he he wasn't in jail by the end of this segment. In a bold attempt to uncover the truth, police arranged for child psychologist to interview the Hames' son. From what the child said, the only conclusion was that there had been a domestic dispute and that Michael murdered Bonnie and removed her and that their three-and-a-half-year-old son had witnessed this. Now, um, the dad, again, comes in on the side of Michael. The, the wife who is, who is supposedly murdered or missing at best he comes in weighing in for Michael saying, um, the credibility of a child is something that you have to judge in perspective. He said a couple of things that we know are not true. He said, mom's car is in the lake. We know her car wasn't there. You know, so that's the dad saying this. I mean, I, I agree with him. I mean, three, there a lot of, there's a reason why a lot of kids' testimonies are not included in court. Because it's, it's like a three-year-old kid, like, how much can this kid really relay? And it t- ties into the the case that uh, I got I got in trouble. Well, I didn't really get in trouble with, but the guy, uh, what was that case again? Uh, the Baskins, Bobby Baskin himself is all like, oh, you know, I was, I, I you know. And I'm like, I, I, I don't think he was truly. Anyway. I don't think you are young enough to be able to really have a full view and understanding of what's going on. No, not at all. I, I mean, I mean, you're not old enough. I, that's what I meant. Not young enough. Duh. I mean, how many <laughs> times in your life have you like looked back at something at some event, and like in your adult mind, you're able to go, "Oh, that's what was going on in that current moment." Like, I I know personally, I've had a bunch of times where I think back to my childhood and certain things that I saw or heard. And when I think back, I, I, I'm able to, like, look at it through an adult lens. And I'm like, oh, that that's what that was. Yeah. But with abuse, though, I mean, the kid could easily say something like, you know, daddy was yelling at mommy. You know, or daddy was, you know, depending on how smart the kid and how... how it, the kid's only three years old, so I'm just wondering what well, his... Then the Florida State of vocabulary. The Florida State Attorney then chimes in after the dad in the segment, and he said the issue of a child's credibility is always a concern, but children generally do not fabricate the truth, and they do not lie about what happens to them. Um, well, yeah, but it, it depends on whether or not they even know for sure if something is really ha- occurring or not. I mean. But, I mean, if he saw abuse, like physical abuse, I don't see any reason why the kid would make that up. Um. So, the family remains split about what happened with Bonnie's disappearance. Uh, um, the dad, not, not anymore. <laughs> the, the dad says, quote, I haven't seen any evidence that convinces me he's guilty. His general That's- attitude convinces me he's not guilty. Uh, Mike's attorney declined interview. Authorities still consider Michael to be the prime suspect in Bonnie's disappearance. Also, uh, was believed that he had an accomplice. 
Um, there is a possibility that Bonnie is still alive. Well, the dad was wrong about uh, his general attitude. Convinces me he's not guilty because he was guilty. Uh, got a big update for this one. Not only from the wikia, but some kind of personal notes here. Um, so, uh, this case has been solved. Um, one claim made by Bonnie and Michael's son, whose name is Aaron, was verified in 1995. Aaron told psychologists that his father had thrown a shotgun out of the car shortly after killing Bonnie. He eventually revealed to his foster mother the specific bridge that Michael had thrown the gun off of. The gun was located in the water below. It was determined to have been there since the time Bonnie disappeared. The gun matched another gun found in Michael's home. In 1999, Bonnie was declared legally dead. In 2005, a civil court judge ordered Michael to pay $26.3 million to Aaron, his son. According to him, he still recalls helping his father hide his mother's wow. body when he was three oh. years old. Ooh. Michael's parental rights were terminated afterward, and Aaron yeah, was adopted. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, <laughs> and was adopted by his foster family. In December 2014, a fragment of skull was found in the backyard of the Hames' former home. This actually made news locally in, in Jacksonville. Uh, the fragment was later identified as human. In August 2015, DNA tests in the skull... Um, uh, God damn it. DNA tests on the skull fragment and additional <laughs> hey, remains... I'm not the only one, DNA. Yeah. <laughs> I know that... <laughs> DNA, DEA, ah. it's a, it's an elusive abbreviation. Um, DNA tests on the skull fragment and additional remains that were found were positively identified as belonging to Bonnie Haim. Michael Haim was arrested on August 24, 2015 and charged with Bonnie's murder. He was extradited back to Jacksonville, Florida, where he has since pleaded not guilty to the charges against him. He will soon stand trial for Bonnie's murder. Now, I got to say this, whoever wrote this piece on Wiki, the Wiki, did a great job trying to recreate the kind of way that the show would write this type of update. Right. Um, I, I could totally imagine Robert Robert Stack reading it, you know, and, and I you, wish, are you wish saying, she was able to. Are you saying that's how good of a job I did just then reading, Mike, that I, I reminded no, you of no, Robert Stack? No, I was. No, sorry. Uh. <laughs> It was a good job, though. No, you're it's lying. Not, it it, not, it not, wasn't. Not, no, it was good. Just wasn't Robert Stack good. I can't even read as well as Robert Stack. <laughs> okay, so my personal, my brother's personal notes from this, I guess I should say, is um, so my my brother works for Michael Hames' uncle. Um, mm. his name is Bernie, and he has a a um. They supply, like, stores with um, hardware. It's a hardware supply store, but they only deal with, uh, it, like, inside sales. They don't, like, you can't just walk into the store and buy something. Like, they only deal with, like, you know, I guess bulk stuff. So, my brother works for this guy, Bernie, and uh, ever since Bonnie went missing back in the 90s, um, it was the the store, obviously, the, the business was abuzz with... Um, you know what what was going on with this her picture to this day is still hung up on the drink machine in the break room that my brother works mm. at um michael haim is in obviously in jacksonville waiting trial 
his lawyer's name apparently is Phallus. Last name is Phallus. Uh, my brother f- thought that would be a funny detail for me to mention. <laughs> that is. It that's is. That's like Dick Pound. Or Black Dildo. Imagine that's your name. I really hope Black- that... I hope that Black Dildo doesn't <laughs> become a, some kind of a theme interlaced through this podcast. That would not be good. <laughs> well, Josh, if you wouldn't mention it out of your mouth, it wouldn't be. Oh, good point. Um, <laughs> Michael, um, is, Michael is Bernie's brother's son. So the guy my work, uh, my, my, anyway, his uncle, his nephew, whatever. Um, the, my brother mentioned details that we already talked about how Mike wore special shoes that left the shoe print. Um, Bernie actually uses um, Michael's son, Aaron, as his yard man for his houses because he has houses that he rent out, rents out. Uh, he was the one, Aaron was the one who found Bonnie's remains. So what happened was Bernie rented out the ha- house and sold it to Michael. And then when Bonnie went missing, a week or so went by, and there was this new little patio, makeshift patio thing that appeared in one night. Um, Just really poorly poured concrete, just really slapshod job. Um, And, you know, it was just kind of like no one questioned it, but, you know, it was there. Um, So... What the 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 uh, as the story goes, he dropped he he murdered her. He dropped her body off in the woods, and then once the coast was clear, he grabbed he went back and grabbed it. He buried it, uh, and then he covered it in cement and you know put a patio over it essentially. So then that, when, when not that, really the most clever. I guess he thought it know, was you know. I. I, I Oh, they'll never find uh, oh, the body, look, oh. and if they don't find the body, I can't be indicted on anything. I mean, look at this shitty, <laughs> shanty-looking <laughs> patio. So it's ha- haphazardly put together, look like it was put together like w- overnight. Well, yeah, there's nothing underneath there. <laughs> here's here's the kicker: uh, the house went on sale. And this was when the whole thing got blown open. The house went on sale, and I, I don't know why Michael like. Why the hell would he sell the house? I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why he allowed this to happen, or maybe he just thought there's no way he 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 would uh, get in trouble for this. But when the house went on sale, the concrete was chipped up yeah. by by Aaron, oh, the, the wow. son, and he found it. He found wow. his mother's remains when wow. when that concrete was. chipped I mean, up. it's bad enough that he. Hid helped hide the, hide the body when he was like three years old. Which honestly, when they say helped hide the body, how the fuck can a three year old help yeah, in any way? Shape. I, or form? I was imagining this is not even physically possible. But in my head, I was picturing the three year old holding one end of the body while the <laughs> while the dad's holding the other, and <laughs> like some son of the mask shit or something like that. Yeah, like he puts yeah, on the mask just... and. It's absolutely not realistic, but I, I just it popped in there, and then I was just, yeah, imagine that uh, Superman, you know, a little super super baby there, um, but uh, a baby genius, but yeah, uh, that's just being the one to chip up the concrete and then find it. Oh, which I mean, at first you're thinking like, what the fuck? Oh damn, these are bones. But then when yeah. you actually 
have that connection of no, that's your mom. Yeah. I I I I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe I don't have words for that either. Maybe it's, you grow up your whole life with like such a disconnection from who your real mother was that by the time you find out about it, it's disturbing, but it's not like devastating, you know? Like I don't I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was still devastating cuz so he probably lived thinking that his dad might have been innocent. And, and so now now this is just absolute proof that his life has essentially been a lie and his father is not innocent and or he did think he did it. And maybe this is just a way for him to but why would he still work for him if you know, that's what I'm saying. Like why would he still he didn't be work he didn't work for, for his dad, he worked for uh his dad's uncle. That's what I'm saying. Why would he still work for his dad's uncle? Why would you still be working you know, with the family, if you thought that, you know, that his uh, his dad was involved in his mother's disappearance and her I don't death. know, dude. It could be like Stockholm Syndrome or something to where it's like even if... Oh, yeah, like Bobby Baskin, mm -hmm. who, I, I, you know, even if he's listening, I'm sorry, I still don't buy it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. If you want to know what Mike's talking about... <laughs> You can get that additional segment on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncovering unsolved mysteries for that and many other bonus perks. Boom. Nice plug. Uh, but yeah, just, just, that was crazy. And first off, yeah, it's like, why would he think that people wouldn't find this? It's not very smart because first thing I would do if I bought this house would be get rid of this shitty looking patio. <laughs> I mean... Well, I mean, really? usually, usually cops, I mean, especially if you're being watched and like the neighbors, you know, are kind yeah, of Yeah, I don't abuzz. know why the cops didn't try to do anything with it either. Yeah, you build, you build a damn, you know, a new slab of concrete overnight, you know, or new, you know, like uh, all of a sudden it appears, you know, cops usually notice stuff like that. They'll, they'll note, you know, usually cops will notice there's a burn. Oh, what's, why is there a burn patch in your backyard? Why is the trash... Uh, completely empty now, you know, and it's not trash day, you know, they, why is there a new slab of cement, you know, the, a good, you know, good police work, they usually look into that shit and check into it, but apparently in this case, that didn't happen. And is it, that a normal thing over where you're at? Just poor police work over in Jacksonville or something? Well, I mean, we have a pretty damn high murder rate here, um, yeah. so, um, Maybe certain cases took precedence over over others, or maybe it's just one of those things where it's like we don't have time. We have like there's a murder like every. Well, that's the thing. Jacksonville is such a yeah. huge city that that you the cops don't really have time to fuck around with like little like traffic violations and stuff. Like they're going after like child trafficking rings and drug rings and murderers and shit. Like mm -hmm. that's that's the main stuff they're. You know, in the smaller kind of counties like Jacksonville Beach, which is its own kind of county or its own like municipality or whatever, you, you mm -hmm. have the beach cops who are a lot more anal than uh, normal Jacksonville cops who... who beach cops. <laughs> they're mainly looking for DUIs, you know, they're looking for the party animals that go out to Jack's Beach and have a little too much and then try to drive. That's mainly how they get, get their... their uh, I just jollies. imagine beach cops being... <laughs> They're being the close. They're equivalent to like a, a security guard, 
That's oh no, they're, I, they're I, like they have their own they have their own like Jacksonville Beach uh, sheriff's car. Oh, like, okay. They have their own cars and everything. Yeah, I, no, they're, I was just thinking about them, you know, just hanging out on the beach, you know, with the lifeguards or whatever, and, and or riding on bicycles. Thankfully, I've and, never you know, had the uh, I've never had the displeasure. Like blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I, I forgot about that show. <laughs> yeah, I've never had the displeasure of dealing with a Jacksonville Beach cop, but I do know that they, there were definitely uh, several occasions where they set up traffic stops, like large scale, like for people trying to leave Jack's Beach, and they literally pulled over every single person who got caught on this one road, and they tested every single one of them to see if they had been drinking. And if you tried to like make a U turn and like avoid the uh the 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 traffic stop then the cop would go after you instantly so that's the kind of shit they would do at jack's beach but uh, jacksville as a whole th- there's just so much stuff going on uh it's just so it's it's hard for them to yeah you know really like a small town where they're on your ass if you burp or fart you know in jacksonville it's kind of hard for them to really well i heard it's illegal to like fart in public or something after six o'clock <laughs> on a certain day of the week in Florida, I hope I hope that's that's a real thing. I, I I swear I thought I looked at it like somebody was talking about. It. I was like, it's a real law, like one of those silly laws. I'm sure in the city, there's a city uh, over here called Waldo, and uh, it's universally hated by everybody because they literally have a spot. They have it's like right behind this. I think I already told you about this on here, but they have a, a spot that's like literally carved out just for the cop car to sit, and it's behind some billboard. And it's a speed trap city. They literally make all their money off traffic tickets, and it's mm-hmm. one of those things where the speed limit, because you're going from like a, a like a kind of a highway to like a smaller town, so the speed limit go- drops from 65 to 55 to 45 to 35, and if you don't abide by those laws like right to the letter they will pull your ass over and they will give you a speeding ticket and i got cu- that's how i got my dui uh-huh. i was driving through waldo late at night like a dumbass from gainesville and um i i had been drinking and um i i don't think i used my right hand turn signal because it was 3 a.m in the morning and no one was on the road so i was like why the fuck am i going to use my turn signal and there were cops who were parked on the uh, grassy area, and they, they pulled me over. And Yeah, anyway, that's how that happened. Sounds like Valkenvania. Sounds like uh, a real-life Valkenvania from uh, the movie Nothing But Trouble, which I guarantee you haven't seen. Nope. Uh, but yeah, in Florida, it's illegal to fart in a public place after 6 p.m. on a Thursday. Oh, my God. Well, I have, I have a karaoke gig tomorrow, so I'm going to stick the mic right in my ass and fart in it. <laughs> Just to piss off the cops. Anyway, that's uh, that was our lengthy. This feels lengthy, probably because you, unbeknownst to you guys, me and Mike took a break in the middle, and I ate pop tarts and Mike ate nachos because I guess we got kind of hungry. Um, that's the podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com/slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Give us a like. Tell us what you think about us. Uh, tell us what you really think about us. We can take it. You can support us on Patreon. I already mentioned patreon.com slash uncovering um, unexplained mysteries. Almost said the old title there. Um, <laughs> you can check out me and Mike on YouTube. Mike's channel is uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. He reviews movies. You can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I do everything else that Mike doesn't do. So it's uh, 
if he reviews movies and I do everything else. Uh, so games, food, taste testing. It's like everything but the kitchen sink with my channel, it seems like. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff, too. I'm not just strictly. Just I mean, movies, mostly. folks. That's all he does. Huh? One-dimensional. Just snooze fast. Don't go. Over. I'm trying to reverse psychology right now, Mike. Just go uh, with it. No, I'm just joking. Um, now, I actually, I've gotten into this habit of uh, I put on one of your videos at night, like when I'm wanting to play one of my games on my Game Boy, and I'll, I'll play it, and then I'll listen to... Uh, you know, one of your videos. I think last night it was, um, oh, it was E.T. Because Mike tears into E.T. about how he does and how you're talking about E.T. looks like a nut sack and all this other he, he does. He's a walking ball sack. He's annoying. <laughs> and how you don't sympathize with this alien like you did with the other aliens of the 80s. And, um, no. <laughs> and yeah, so, uh, it's a pretty, it was a long review, so I'm, st I haven't made my way through it yet, but I, I'm like halfway through it and I was like kind of laughing the whole time. I was like, oh my God, Mike is just tearing into poor little E.T. Um, so yeah, check us out on there and, uh, yeah, do that. Um, and have a good rest of your week, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye. See ya.